Our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you thankful tonight. We've been encouraged to pray. So we are praying now. We ask that your spirit would move. We ask that because we've come to camp meeting, or as we've come to camp meeting, your Holy Spirit would work powerfully in our lives, in our hearts. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We believe that one day, Jesus is going to return, wake the sleeping saints, and take the redeemed, both living and dead, to heaven. We believe that there is an eternity stretching before us. And so, Father, tonight, place a great burden in our hearts to know you, love you, serve you, and to truly be yours. Bless us now, we ask you. Let your word be quick, powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword. We ask you tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. About five miles from Union College in Lincoln, Nebraska, is the Extreme Light Laboratory at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. A couple of years ago, scientists at UNL succeeded in doing something rare. They produced a beam of light one billion times brighter than the surface of the sun. which I think we can agree is bright. Now that flash of light lasted for only 30 billionths of a millionth of a second. But still, that was a bright light. There was definitely some scientific utility arising out of this experiment, but it's hard to get away from the fact that at the end of the day, somebody created a really, really, really bright light. You are aware that light is important. It materially affects our mood. Natural lighting has a calming effect. Poor lighting can trigger depression. Serotonin levels plummet on dark days. They increase when there is plenty of light, and therefore our happiness is affected in a positive sense. Light profoundly affects our creativity. It affects sleep cycles. It affects your eyes. Light affects your decision-making. And it's hard not to be impressed by beautiful displays of light. If you've seen the Eiffel Tower at night, if you've seen Niagara Falls at night, Christmas we like in part because of the bright lights. It would not surprise me at all if there is some way you habitually go at Christmas time in order that you might enjoy the light displays. It's what we do. We are drawn to lights. That's how it is. We like light. You may be surprised to know that there is a light bulb, if you are from Chattanooga or Mississippi or Alabama someplace, a light bulb. 
I'm multilingual. There's a light bulb in Livermore, California that has been burning continually for 117 years. And you say to yourself, how can I get my hands on one of those light bulbs? Mine don't last very long at all. Well, you cannot. Because right around 100 years ago, a group of light bulb manufacturers got together in Geneva, Switzerland. This cartel was called the Phoebus Cartel, P-H-O-E-B-U-S, the Phoebus Cartel. And there were manufacturers, all the manufacturers that you recognize today, many of them, GE and others. And they said, gentlemen, and it was gentlemen, we have a problem because light bulbs last too long. We want to sell more light bulbs. We will not sell many more if they all last for 100 years. And so penalties were levied against anybody who produced a light bulb that lasted longer than 1,000 hours. And now you know why it's been so hard for so long to get a light bulb that lasts. Planned obsolescence. It's a beautiful thing if you are a light bulb manufacturer, not so if you burn plenty of light bulbs. The Bible speaks of light. Of course it does. In the beginning, God created the most famous words, I would say, in all of literature. And we know that on day one, God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be what? Light. That was day one. He spoke it into existence. God provided light to the children of Israel during the plague of darkness down there in Egypt. He sent with his people a pillar of fire to provide them with light and guidance. There was a seven-branched candlestick in the holy place of the sanctuary. It burned and light glittered and gleamed and reflected off the golden walls in there. It was beautiful inside the walls in there, off the walls in there. The Bible says that God's lamp, sorry, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a what? A light to our path. That's right. David wrote in Psalm 119, if you believe he wrote Psalm 119, and I do, the entrance of God's word gives what? It gives light and it gives understanding to the people. Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. You read it in John 9 and verse 5 where Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But then the plot thickens when Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus tells us your purpose and mine. Our purpose in this world is to give light. That would be to reflect light, to shine. And there is a part of me that doesn't much like that because deep within all of us and hopefully deep, 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 there is this thought struggling for expression that we don't want to be crucified daily. We don't want self to die. We want time off the clock to not be on duty, but Christ's injunction does not contemplate you or myself being part-time lights, but full-time lights. We live in a desperately dark world, a sinful and a wicked world. And you don't have to look too far to find wickedness and sin. This is a dark world filled with injustice and malice and malignancy. And so God speaks to us and he says to us that in this sin-darkened world, you are the light of the world. I read where somebody with a great amount of wisdom once said that the strongest example 
in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. What do you say to that? Oh, sure. God calls us to be loving and to be lovable. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, the world needs a light. The world needs a revelation of the character of God. In a world where men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, unthankful, unholy, false accusers, fierce, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God in that sort of world. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In that sort of world, hold on. Perhaps Paul is actually saying in that sort of church because he says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5 that there will be people having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. My goodness, we need to ask ourselves a question tonight. Is that us? Denying the power thereof. That would be the power of God's grace. That would be the power of God's forgiveness. That would be the power of God's presence in our lives. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. The Bible spoke to us, still speaks to us, in the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3 says, listen to this, and Gentiles shall come to thy light and to the brightness of the convincing nature of your arguments. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody ever uh, stood in the baptistry and testified, I am here today because I lost the argument. Nobody ever said that. Of course, we want to be right. We want to be theologically accurate. Of course, we do. But we want to be more than simply theologically accurate. Gentiles will come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Same book, 42nd chapter, 6th verse. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and will hold your hand, and will keep you, and give you for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles. Now, ladies and gentlemen, tonight I may just challenge you a little bit. Maybe not. If not, that's a good thing. If so, that's probably an even better thing. We want to make sure that we have our thinking straight on this. I don't think that anybody owes you an award or a prize, a medallion or a certificate, because you have figured out which day of the week is the right day of the week to go to church, the right day of the week to keep holy. You could give someone who is biblically illiterate a Bible, and they get to the first couple of verses of Genesis chapter 2. There are still 1,187 chapters left. They get just into the beginning of the second chapter. They'll say, here it is, I believe I've found your day, because it's right there. No prizes for figuring out the day. None at all. But we want to do more than simply keep the right day. We want to know the right day and know the right God. We want to know the right day 
and reflect the character of God. And you might say, those two things are not mutually exclusive and you cannot do the one without the other. And I would say, you're about right. I would submit to you tonight, it is easier to know the 2,300 day year prophecy inside out or eat the right food or give a check, write a check, than it is to manifest the character of Christ. Observe the right day. Amen. Sing in the choir. I am willing. We need somebody to help us take up the offering. I'll do that. Sure I will. Love your enemies. Whoa. Wait a minute. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Ladies and gentlemen, David says we ought to meditate upon the Word of God. Let's meditate upon this. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now what makes you exceeding glad? Come on now. I will put words into your mouth because you don't want to admit that what makes you exceeding glad is standing on a driving range and hitting the ball 280 yards in a straight line. That makes some of you all exceeding glad. And some of you are made exceeding glad when you get to bounce your grandbaby on your knee. Some of you are thinking, no, I'm gladder when I hit the golf ball straight for 280 yards. But I understand. What makes you exceeding glad? If the Detroit Lions were to win the Super... Oh, forget it. Uh, I want... We need to keep this within the realms of, 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 of actual possibility. Uh, what make you exceeding glad? Uh, 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 a beautiful spring day. Amen. A, a walk with your spouse. Beautiful. Family time. Amen. Okay. These are things that make you exceeding glad. Not just glad. Not just, oh, my pie turned out okay. Oh, no, no exceeding glad. Uh, not just breakfast was good. Jesus said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Really, really glad. Listen, when people persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And somebody says, hey, hey, that's not what I signed up for. But yes, it is. That's exactly what you signed up for. The Bible calls that taking away the heart of stone and putting in its place and heart of flesh. You know as well as I do that biblical Christianity isn't merely adopting a belief system. You know why we have so many mean people in our midst and hateful and argumentative people in our midst? And I don't mean to overblow that, but you know we got some. The reason is that some people think that being a Christian, being a Seventh-day Adventist, is just about having the right doctrinal system. That's part of it. Part of it. You want to be as right as you possibly can, doctrinally and biblically and theologically. But Christianity is about a whole lot more. You are not even approaching Christianity until God has changed your heart. That's Christianity. It's taking the old and making it new. It's taking the mean and making it sweet. It's taking the objectionable and making it agreeable. And now some of us, some of us are wondering about the depth or the uh, genuineness of our Christian experience. Because we know we got the doctrines right. We could recite them and teach them and give you proof texts and all of that. And that's not bad. But if that's all you've got and you don't have the character of Jesus, you are selling yourself short. You are selling the church short. You are selling God short. 
and you are robbing your neighbor of evidence of what Jesus Christ can do in a life. Jesus is talking about working so powerfully in us that we are not simply right. You know that even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Jesus wants us to reflect him. If all we have is Jesus without having Christianity, if all we have is the form of godliness, denying the power thereof, if all we have is compliance, then we are legalists. We are simply assenters. We don't have Jesus then. There's a song that used to trouble me when I was a boy growing up attending St. Paul's Catholic Church. It used to bother me. And if we have some former Catholics or present Catholics here tonight, then you may know the song. The song in the hymnal was called, Seek, O Seek the Lord. Seek, O Seek the Lord while He is near. Trust Him. Uh, I don't know. But I, I, I remember much of it. I remember, I remember the part that I wanted to forget. I'm the youngest of five boys. There are five Bradshaw boys. The next one up from me is four years older than me. And I used to hate him. Genuinely, in my prayer time, I would pray that God would reveal to me that either he or I were adopted. And I'm not making that up. Because if only one or the other of us were adopted, then we wouldn't be brothers. Yes! That would have been magnificent. I despised him. And then I would go to church and we would sing, Seek, oh, seek the Lord. And somewhere in that hymn, there was a line that said, How can we love God above and not our brother? Ooh. That bothered me. That was some pretty good theology. And I didn't like it. I was happy going to church, happy trying to figure out how to go to heaven, but I did not love my brother, and I was not happy knowing that I should. Evidently, I had to do more than coexist in his presence. I had to love him. Now think about some of the people you have a hard time loving. And now look at Jesus and ask yourself if Jesus loves them. And now look at your Christian experience and ask yourself if there might be some holes. Ladies and gentlemen, God did not call you into the church just to make up the numbers, nor did he do that for me. He called us to himself so that in us might be demonstrated the character of God himself. And I know that that sounds like a tall order, but don't let it sound too tall for you because it's not too tall for God. Come on and say amen. Growth in your church doesn't prove you're a Christian. Your position, whatever it is, on this idea or that idea doesn't prove you're a Christian. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. Your friend or your opponent's position. If you're on one side of the issue, clearly you are a Christian. <laughs> I mean, you're right. But if your counterpart is on the other side of the issue, for goodness sake, don't let that suggest to you that she or he is not a Christian. I'll tell you something about Adventists. We don't agree well, and we don't disagree well. Because for us, everything is life and death. Everything. We need to learn. And now, now don't, read, don't read anything into my remarks that is not there. But one of the things that we would do well to learn is how to disagree like Christians. How to be able to say, you see it different to me. I disagree with you, but I love you anyway. 
and I'm not going to go home and take my you doll out and start sticking pins in it and calling curses down on you. Amen. You can sing and shout and preach and give and do outreach and run programs and attend conferences. None of that is the acid test. Let me give you an example. You'll find this on YouTube. People went to a restaurant. It was uh, somewhere in Asia, I believe, based on the language spoken. Uh, and, and for some reason, the individual had ordered squid. Now, I don't know which part of the squid you're supposed to eat. No idea. I grew up in a country it was really a farm surrounded by the ocean. If you could slow it down long enough to get a fork into it, you ate it. That was all. But there was no way I was ever going to eat squid. Not in a thousand lifetimes. I did try octopus once just to be hospitable. We were on a rugby tour. We were in Malaysia. They said, octopus. Well, I guess I'll never try that again. It was a little bit like chewing on the sole of a shoe, but to call it that would have been an insult to the shoe. It was terrible. But somebody ordered a squid. And I would understand if you ordered a squid and deep fried the squid. You could take an old sock and deep fry the sock, batter it, put a little spice on it. Mm, it's going to taste fine because it has been deep fried. I'm not suggesting it would be good for you. But if they deep fried the squid, I would get it. Or put it in a salad, little squid bits with salad and, and uh, uh, um, man, I'm forgetting that one. It's really, it's really not, uh, what is that? It's very healthy and it's in salads these days. Not, no, not kale. Kale, but the other one, it's killing me. No, and, 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 and you can pronounce it badly if you don't get it right. Quinoa, quinoa, that's it. So if you were to take... Or well, arugula is fantastic stuff. So if you were to take some squid and add it with a, a little um, arugula and, and quinoa, I just love it when someone says quinoa, that's fantastic. And that I could understand. But instead, there was something like a bed of rice... And a squid plopped right on top of it. That is nasty. But then where it gets interesting is the person took a, like a jar of soy sauce or something. And if you've seen this, you know what I'm talking about. And sprinkled it on the squid. And that squid started to move. And each one of the ten squid legs, I guess they're not called legs. Are they tentacles? Is that what you call it on a squid? They started to move, added a little more of the sauce, and the thing started to move as though it was going to walk right off the table. It looked like Michael Flatley in Riverdance. It was a squid moving, almost breakdancing almost. How can that happen? Evidently, it has something to do with the sodium in the soy sauce reacting with the cells of the squid. I saw another one. Fried fish. Fish. One would assume they were dead. They'd been caught a couple of days before. Fish came out, put the, I guess it was soy sauce, and the tails of the fish start flapping like that. I would be, I would, I would, I would, we'd be casting demons out of the fish if I saw that. Exorcise. Exercise the fish. The fish was 
dead. The squid was dead. But under the right circumstances, it looked like it was alive. It wasn't alive. It was never coming back from the dead. It was dead and it was going to stay dead. But it looked alive and it acted alive. We got churches like that. There are Christians like that. And if you think I'm wrong, take it up with Jesus, who wrote about that in the book of Revelation. I know your works, that you have a name, that you live and are dead. You can say the right word. God bless you. Happy Sabbath. Hate that guy. Man. Man. Hey, pastor. Great sermon. Yeah, horrible sermon. Oh, he preaches bad sermons. Easy. Oh, sorry. That was uh, New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> terrible sermon. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Huh. You can do that. We can look like we're alive and be dead. Let me tell you what alive is. Alive is possessing the righteousness of Christ. Anything less than that and you dead. Righteousness of Christ and you are alive. Let me explain something to you. Possessing the righteousness of Christ does not mean that you are above ever making a mistake. Does not mean that you don't have some growing to do. But you come to Jesus and you claim Jesus and he is yours and you are his and you are now alive. As a matter of fact, can't resist it. Drunk is walking home from the pub. It's two o'clock in the morning. Why they're open that late, I don't know. He trips, falls into the gutter, uh, uh, soils himself, uh, and, and vomits on himself, falls asleep. I mean, pretty picture. This is camp meeting. Let's really make it attractive. Wakes up three and a half hours later. It's pounding, 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 pounding headache. But he hears something. He hears some words playing around inside his mind. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And his mind goes back to where his, where his, when his mother used to take him to Sunday school. What school did I say? Sunday school. And he remembers his mother saying, I pray for you, son. I pray for you. I know you're not living like we raised you, but I pray for you. God loves you. And in that moment, he just feels sick. Not sick, but sick. And he says, look at me. I'm laying here in a gutter. I stink. Uh, I'm, I'm head is throbbing. I made a fool of myself last night. I probably did at least. I can't remember anything. And he prays a prayer. He says, God, I know you are real. I remember going to church with mom and dad and my brothers and sisters. And here I've been wandering for years and years and years. Surely the wandering must end. God if you will forgive me, please accept me as your child. And then he says, no, I know better than that. I know you will forgive me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Is he saved? Yes or no? Yes, he is. So he goes home to his, goes home to his house, goes to the bathroom, strips down, just leaves his clothes on the floor of the bathroom, has a shower, Stumbles off into bed and crawls into the bed next to his girlfriend. Is he saved? Yes or no? And in the morning, she wakes him up. Get out of bed. I have bacon and eggs for you. Waiting on the table. Is he saved? Yes or no? See, I know there's some confusion. 
that does not speak well of you. When he gave his heart to Jesus, did Jesus accept him, yes or no? The fact that he had some growing to do, did it mean that Jesus later said, oh, 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 what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Oh, no. Or did Jesus say, you're mine? Yes, he did. What did the man begin to do in his experience with God? He began to grow. You know that that night he went to a party. She said, it's my sister-in-law's birthday. And I know you don't feel good, but come to the party. And he walked through the door and someone shoved a beer in his hand. Is he saved? Yes or no? Of course he's saved. But he drank one and put it down and said, no, no, no more. I remember that prayer I prayed. I need to really get right with God. Ladies and gentlemen, possessing Christ as your Lord and Savior does not mean that you don't have growing to do. Yes, he began to grow. God changed him, grabbed him, changed his heart. Now his heart is beating differently to the hearts around him. He's sitting in that party saying, this is, this is lame. And this used to be my life. No, things have got to change. And you know that before the week was over, he had a conversation with his girlfriend. He went back to living with his mother. Threw his cigarettes away one day after that. See what happens? Jesus saved him. Now Jesus changing, changing him, changing him, changing him. Imagine if you had to get everything right before Jesus said, I save you. There wouldn't be one of us tonight who could be certain in our salvation. Not one. I thank God for the righteousness of Christ, which doesn't excuse my weakness. It doesn't say, oh, it's okay, you carry on in your sin. The righteousness of Christ clothes me. And Jesus dwelling in me and living his life out in me changes me. Aren't you glad about that? Thank God for that. And Jesus starts shining out of that drunk's life. He goes, well, people are like, you don't stay for drinks anymore. No, no, I stopped drinking. Where are you going? You're rushing off. I have a Bible study to go to. You? He's shining. He's shining. Doesn't know enough about the Bible to preach, but people see the change in his life, and his life is testifying for Jesus. Man, we can't even get you to argue. What's wrong? You used to argue and cuss and fight. Not anymore. I met Jesus. He is changing my life. Ladies and gentlemen, you might want to debate. I'm not, I'm not you, not you, not in Michigan. Um, folks in the, uh, what's the next conference over? Ohio. And people in Ohio, they argue. Not here. People are going to argue, and we might want to argue. And, and, and there's certainly a time for discussion. There may even be time for a sanctified debate, if you can pull that off and still be Christ-like. But what Jesus is looking to us for is to see himself in us. No, no. And what Jesus is looking for. He wants you to get it straight, doctrinally, biblically, theologically. Sure he does, but he wants us to be straight experientially, that we come to Jesus, embrace him, grow, live our lives for his glory, so somebody can look at you and say, I see something in you that I want in my life. We cannot afford to be sleepwalking today, the living dead today, with a name that we're alive when we're really dead. We can't afford that. We are in a great controversy out here. And the great issue in the great controversy is the character of God. 
We can talk about that until the cows come home. But God is calling us tonight to allow Him to demonstrate His character in our life. Somebody ought to say amen. The devil is at the top of his game. He'll get you any way he can. And if he can get you, if you are right and he can't shake you theologically, then he'll shake you so that you don't represent Jesus, but you snarl and growl and spit like the devil. That's what he wants you to do. You know, I was, I was on a plane once flying from Lusaka, Zambia to Johannesburg, South Africa. I was sitting next to a coffee farmer. He farmed coffee somewhere in Zambia. And uh, he made this odd statement. We were talking about the farming operation and so forth. And he said, you know what I do? I only employ Jehovah's Witnesses to work for me. I said, why do you do that? Just Jehovah's Witnesses? Absolutely. You won't employ anyone if they're not a Jehovah's Witness? No way. You won't employ Catholic? No. You won't employ Methodist? No. Anglican? No. I didn't have the courage to ask if he would employ a Seventh-day Adventist. I said, so why is it that you will only employ a Jehovah's Witness? He said, you want to know why? He said, because they're honest. They won't steal. I know the men are not running around on their wives. They're not bringing their domestic drama to work. You ask them to work, they'll work. They'll work all the way to quitting time. These people are honest. I said, are you a Jehovah's Witness? Oh, no, he said. I would never be a Jehovah's Witness. But I'll employ them. You've heard what people say, haven't you? Ask them, what do you know about Seventh-day Adventists? They say, uh, vegetarians. All right, some of, some of us are. That's true. What else do you know? Some of them are going to say, oh, your schools. You've got good schools, man. My child went to school at an Adventist school for a couple of years. That's, that's good. What else do you know about Seventh-day Adventists? Oh, community service. They helped us when the flood came through. We really, we really think a whole lot of you people. That's good. But then you'll meet people who will say, never do business with a Seventh-day Adventist. Some of you have heard that. I've heard that. Why not? They cheat. They're not honest. They'll get the most out of you with, uh, and try to give the less to you, least to you. Not all, and you know that I know that. These are the exceptions, not the rule. But what I'm looking forward to is meeting someone today and saying to them, Meeting someone one day and saying to them, so what do you know about Seventh-day Adventists? Oh, Adventists, those are the nice people. Those people are kind. They'll help you. Oh, man, they, 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 don't, they don't fight. These are good folks. All the Adventists I know. And undoubtedly, in Michigan, that's all anyone would say. Ohio, probably different. Probably different in Ohio. Wouldn't it be a fantastic day if when the name Seventh-day Adventist was spoken, people thought about Jesus? I remember being on a college campus. I'll never forget this. The week of prayer speaker arrived. And uh, I'd been out, and he'd been on campus for 45 minutes, an hour, or something like that. I arrived on the campus, and, and this man had, had just gathered a crowd. One of those students ran off to find a friend. Come quick, come quick. You've got to meet this man. He's just like Jesus. What a thing to say. What a thing to say. Wouldn't it be something if people said that about God's people frequently? Oh, I know the devil's, I'm not naive. 
Devil's working. He's going to turn people against people. We understand that. But man, if we can begin each day saying, Jesus, shine out of me. Jesus. I'm not praying today for someone to beat in an argument. I'm praying today for somebody to serve, somebody to shine before. I'm praying that you will bring me before the person uh, that you want to reveal Jesus to. I'm up for that if you're willing to use me. It would be a new day. And of course, when people know that you're reliable and, and, and kind and sweet, man, they want to know what makes you that way. Sure, they'll listen to your doctrinal dissertations then. Certainly they will. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to think that this is a bad day for the church. It's a great day for the church. But God is calling us higher, higher, higher. The elements involved in the great controversy that we identified as being important years ago they're all important today, and we should talk about them more and not less. When I came into this church, I was thrilled that I'd been led into the light of God's Word. I was confident in the mission of the church and in God's leading, and I am still confident. You know that you see God doing the most remarkable things in His church. Can you say amen? He just is. Okay. I started down this road last night. I'm going to come back to it. Whose church is this? Only reason you should leave the church is what? Death. That's all. That's all. I can't think of another one. What interests me is how the church is coming under attack this way and that way. Some of the silly little doctrinal discussions. We settled the Trinity decades ago. How is it? How is it that something as fundamental and basic as the Trinity is now drawing, or anti-Trinity, is drawing people away? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're getting sucked down that road, don't go any further. Come back. We settled it long ago. You know what it is? There are some questions about that that are kind of tricky. Spirit, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. Therefore, it's the Spirit of God rather than, a, no, no, no. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I could show you the family photo. Pardon me putting it that way. When Jesus is baptized, Jesus is in the water. Father thunders his voice. Holy Spirit turns up. There's three. But what's really interesting is that we've got too many people who want to make difficult things difficult. What in the world? Let's take that complicated thing and make it simple. Let's accept there are three and the three are one. That's all. Now, now you know why it's complicated? Because we are talking about God. God's ways are higher above ours than heaven is above the earth. Now, if you are bent away that way and you're heading out the door to church because you're unhappy that we teach this old Catholic doctrine. By the way, you believe Catholics are wrong about everything? They believe there's a God. What are you going to make of that? If you're headed out the door, I, there's no, probably nothing I can do for you because you have already decided to step off the platform and step away. What are you going to do? Go start your own denomination? What are the anti-Trinitarians doing? Are they establishing health clinics and schools? Have they got an aggressive evangelism program? Are they sending missionaries? Yes, they're sending missionaries. Where to? Your church. That's all. Come on, man. This is just a deception. You can't, allow, you can't get drawn away by that. Get drawn away by that. Somebody comes along and says, oh, the close of probation is going to happen in April. Somebody comes to me and it is written partnership. Pastor, 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 have you heard? What, what, what? 
a group of women, they're breathless. Have you heard? Well, have I heard what? There's a prophet. I knew. No, no, another one. She's in South America. I said, no, she's not a prophet. Do you know her name? Nope. How do you know she's not a prophet? Because she's not. Do you know what she's been saying? No, and I don't need to. Why not? Because she's not. How do you know? Well, there's two ways. One, if she was, the pastor would have told the conference president, would have told a union guy who would have called straight to the division, who would have called the Biblical Research Institute, and they'd have got this figured out. It had been in the review by now. (laughs) Instead, it's like a secret society, and there's only a few chosen people who know. No. And there's another reason why I know. Watch that. Every few years, there's a new prophet. And people get all excited, and they start to get, the pulse quickens, and then that ship has sailed, and it's over. Oh, wow, how do we get buffaloed into that? Because we make it easy. And when somebody comes along and says, the time, I'm not setting a date, but, (laughs) you got to love that. I'm not setting a date, but, let me put that in English for you. I'm setting a date. Did you ever read anything that says there'll be no more future events or no more prophetic events based on time? You ever hear that? Ever read that? We are Seventh-day Adventists. We don't set dates. Let me say that again. We don't set dates. I've never done this, but would you like to say that with me? Let's go. We don't set dates. There you go. So the next time you see a video saying, based on this time prophecy, click the thing off. There's nothing in there for you. For goodness sake, don't share it. Because some poor impressionable soul without a lot of experience is going to go, oh my goodness. And then they're going to go to the pastor. Why aren't you talking about this? Ladies and gentlemen, that we just make it too easy for the devil. How? By being dumb. Do you think the 28 fundamental beliefs were cooked up around a campfire one night? We arrived there through years of study. Doesn't mean we know everything, but it means we know what we know. And there's never going to come a time where we get together and go, oh, number four, that's wrong. Number 21, oops. Number 28, what were we thinking? The Spirit of God is guiding His people. We can trust that guidance. Don't decide to go in another direction than the one the Spirit of God is leading. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean there's not a time that you might like to politely pull somebody aside and in the Spirit of Jesus say, I have a concern, brother. That's okay. Write a letter if you must. Just let it be nice. Let it speak of the fact that you've spent time with Jesus. And for goodness sake, don't get drawn away by all these harebrained ideas that contradict the Word of God. Now, you're looking at at Zechariah, and someone says, well, I think A, and someone says, I think B, and someone says, I think C. Oh, I get that. It might even be D. You know, not all of this is real simple. We understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, please, decide that you're not going to veer off because somehow you are right, And the 
21,999,999 other people in the church are somehow all wrong. Jesus is coming back soon. I am still confident. I'm confident that God has called a people together and given them guidance. Guidance in his word, prophetic guidance. God has given us guidance. I see God doing remarkable things. I was in Melbourne, Australia recently conducting uh, actually two evangelistic meetings while my colleague Eric Flickinger was conducting two. We were busy. And I was there preaching one night. And uh, the next night I'm in the foyer and a man, a family comes by. And the lady says, has he told you, pastor? No. Has he told you, pastor? No. And well, he, he is here. And they say, tell him, tell him, you must tell him. I said, so what is it, brother? And there's an older man. And he said to me, you know, last night during the preaching, I was listening and it was so loud. It was so loud. Your preaching was so loud. I thought, me? Oh, I can't believe that. Loud. And afterwards, I said to my family, weren't you surprised at how loud it was? And they said, no, Dad, it's the same as it was every other night. He said, and that's when I realized. He said, for 35 years, I've been deaf in my right ear, only listening with my left ear. The doctors told me the hearing in my right ear would never come back. My ear was ruined. And he said, and last night during the presentation, my hearing came back, and now I can hear out of two ears. Isn't that wonderful? God's a miracle worker. That's what he does. I believe God is at work. God does great things. You see God working miracles of divine grace. Wonderful miracles. I don't need to tell you this. So I will. When I was a teenager, there was a nightclub that my friends and I used to go to. It was called the Lady Hamilton, the Lady H, because it was in the city of Hamilton. And we'd go there and we'd listen to the music by the house band called the Politicians, and we'd just hang out with our friends and, and whatnot. The owner of the nightclub was a fellow named, I'm going to call him Ronnie Smith. And you may have heard me tell a story before, but it's okay. I'll call him Ronnie Smith. And whenever Ronnie would arrive at the nightclub, he would ascend the staircase with a couple of glamorous women, one on each arm, and he'd park his European car out front back when people weren't driving fancy European cars. And there would be a buzz that went through the nightclub. Oh, Ronnie Smith is here. Ronnie Smith is here. We didn't know Ronnie Smith from Adam, but it was evidently he was a big deal. He owned several nightclubs in the city. Ronnie Smith is here. Well, well. Sometime later, Ronnie Smith fell on hard times and uh, life went, I don't know where it went for Ronnie. But I was in, that in the church in that town years later. In the intervening time, I'd become a Christian. And as a visiting evangelist, I visited that city and I was going to hold some meetings. And my friend, David, who cannot help himself and just witnesses wherever he goes, David said, I have a friend I would like to introduce you to. He is in church today. I would love him to come to the meetings. Please invite him. Sure. What's his name? His name is Ronnie Smith. I said, no problem. We walk out to the foyer of the church, and there's Ronnie. And David says, John, this is Ronnie. You might like to meet him. Ronnie Smith? The Ronnie? He's looking at me like he's in trouble with the law. Like this. <laughs> Ronnie Smith, you owe me money. He said, I don't have any money. And he was telling the truth. I said, I left behind at the Lady Hamilton nightclub so much money, if I could just get back 10 cents on the dollar, I'd be fine. Oh, I'm sorry about that, John. Uh, he's dressed in sweatpants and a, like a T-shirt and a, a sweater. 
I'm sorry, John, I don't have any money. So, so Ronnie, the nightclub owner, is now coming to church. Imagine that. And here in church is the guy who used to go to the nightclub. I mean, this is bizarre. I said, Ronnie, I would love for you to come to the meetings that start Friday night or whenever they started. He said, yeah, John, I'll do my best. I'd like to be there. Wow, was I ever praying. Lord, wouldn't this be something? Dave had known Ronnie for years and years and years. Ronnie said later he went 20 years without being sober for a single day. And in a moment, you're going to see that that more than likely was correct. But David would just witness to him. He would just be his friend. He knew he couldn't straighten him out, but he could love him and help him no matter what. So, Ronnie, would you come to the meetings? Opening night, Ronnie is there. He's there. Now, he's had some Bible studies. He's come to church a couple of times, a few times, and there he is. He's sitting right about there. Ronnie is there, and I'm praising the Lord. Lord, you've got to reach this man. You've got to reach them all, but you've got to reach this one. So we send out a decision card on about the third night. I, would, I want to give my life. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Ronnie comes back, signed the card. He has accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Yes! But you know there's about 20 nights of the meeting still left to go. And we want to see Ronnie go all the way. We get down to the night on baptism. I would like to be baptized the way the Bible teaches. Yes, Ronnie Smith. Amen. I want to come out of Babylon. Whoa, Ronnie's made a big decision. I want to become part of the church that keeps the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, Ronnie's there. We get him to the water. I'm standing in the baptistry about to baptize the man who owned the nightclub I used to go to 20 years earlier. 20-something years earlier. We are less than a mile from the nightclub. Man, I just couldn't believe it. Lowered Ronnie into the water. The water started to bubble and steam. Flames came up out of it. There was a lot to wash away. Ronnie went down in the water. He came up. Put his hands above his head like this, shook his, like this, as though he just kicked the game, the Super Bowl winning field goal, like this. Praise the Lord. Ronnie is in the arms of Jesus. He's given his life fully to God. Praise the Lord. So a few years later, two, three, I don't know, I'm back at that church. And I can't wait to see Ronnie. But my wife, Melissa, says, have you seen Ronnie? There's something different about him. Oh, man, I hope he's okay. I hope he hadn't gone, you know, backwards in his experience. Fellowship meal. I shoot over there. Ronnie, how you doing, man? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm okay. He looks at me like this, puts his hand out, as though, he, as though I was going to beat him. So how you being, man? How's the Lord treating you? Yeah, yeah, all right, I guess, all right, I guess. It was all very strange. So I wasn't getting anywhere really with conversation. I said, I'll catch up with you later. I'll go back and eat my lunch. David came to me. He said, John, I didn't tell you. Ronnie now lives in a group home. Ronnie now lives behind locked doors. I am the only person in the world he recognizes. He has dementia. Hard to put it down to 20 years of drunkenness, but maybe it had something to do with it. I got a text about two and a half weeks ago from David. John, just wanted to let you know that Ronnie Smith passed away. 
And I said, praise the Lord. I'm not praising the Lord that he's dead. I'm praising the Lord that he's going to live again. He's going to live again. The nightclub owner, the scoundrel, the drunk, that immoral man, he's going to live again because of the grace of God that's working in his church tonight. Can you say amen to that? God got him before the devil could finish him off. Thank the Lord. I am confident. I am encouraged because God is still leading in his church. We see the church growing numerically. And thank the Lord we do. New universities are being established. New centers of influence. Missionaries are offering themselves to go to difficult places. Baptisms all across Michigan. Evangelistic meetings being held everywhere. Praise the Lord. Get ready. People are going to be coming in. Amen. Because God is at work. You can point to places where there were no church. Now there are churches burning brightly. And I'm here to say tonight, it is not enough. We are not finished. We are nowhere near finished. There are people everywhere who are waiting to go to heaven. They're just waiting for somebody to get there and show them the way. That's all. People everywhere. And God is saying, we got to go find them and bring them to Him. But ladies and gentlemen, if we are going to be used by God, we need to be more than right about what we believe. we got to be right with God. And this is, this, this, is, this is what discourages some people. They look at themselves, they say, but what a sinner I am. Okay, well played. You are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now that you've identified you're a sinner, immediately look away from your sinful heart. Look to the sanctuary in heaven where you have a Savior. Amen. Jesus who is interceding for you at God's right hand. John wrote, my little children, I write these things to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, that person has an advocate with the Father. Who is it? Tell me. Jesus Christ the righteous. There's good news tonight for the hopeless. There's good news tonight for the weak. There's good news tonight for the stubborn. There's good news tonight for the hard-hearted. There's good news tonight for you and for me because Jesus is in heaven according to the book of Hebrews for us, not against us. He is for us. And if you've ever looked in the mirror and said, how can my heart and heart be changed? I will tell you how Jesus can change your heart. Would you say amen? amen. Let me ask you a question. Where do you see yourself in the Bible? And I mean that literally. Show me a Bible story and say, ah, there I am. You might say, Revelation 20, New Jerusalem has come down. I see myself on the inside looking out rather than on the outside looking in. I'm saying, amen, that's good. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will do what? Rise first and then we which are alive and remain. You might say, that's where I see myself. Either alive and remain, coming up from the grave, either or, I see myself there. Revelation 14, 12, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And not too many of us are prepared to say, yeah, that's me, because it sounds like we're bragging. But no, no, no. The mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We aren't going to perform our way to heaven. We're going to let Jesus come into our lives and change us and transform us 
and live in our lives so that we get to the place that when obeying Him, we are simply carrying out our own impulses. That's what God wants for you. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to show you another place where God sees you in the Bible. Revelation 18 and verse 1. Listen to this. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with His glory. You know what that is? That is Jesus shining out of His people, lighting up the world with a manifestation of the character of God. And who does He want to work in? You and me. His people. His church. That's where God sees us. Revelation 18 verse 1. God working in us so that the planet is lit up with a manifestation of God's glory, of God's character. He can do that in you. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Friend, we got to be a little impatient about this and go to God and say, some things have got to change in my life. There are some things about me that are not Christ-like. Lord, you say you can do it, so do it. Did you know that somebody with the Holy Spirit authority once said that the Holy Spirit awaits our demand and our reception? So when did you last go to God, grab hold of His throne, and say, I will not let you go until you bless me, and I demand your Holy Spirit in my life? When did you last pray that prayer? I'd be pussyfooting around. Oh, by the way, Lord, if it's not too much trouble, if you could spare a little small change, you've got to go to Bill Gates for and say, Bill, you've got a quarter. What is that for? You go to Bill Gates, you ask him for a million dollars. He's got it. Why are you going to God asking... Lord, if you were to empty out your pockets, you have any spare change in there? Come on. What are we praying those little minuscule sissy prayers for? Lord, I got to have your Holy Spirit. Without you, nothing. My only hope is that you fill me with yourself. Because if you leave it to me, I will drive this thing right off a cliff. So you got to work in my life before my life isn't worth living. Lord, fill me up. Baptize me. Anoint, not for our glory. Not for our glory. The Spirit of God is not a tool that you wield like a hammer or a sickle. The Spirit of God comes into our life and we become the tool in the hands of God to be moved this way or that way or the other way. God wants to do it, man. He wants to do it now, tonight, from here on. Filled with His presence using you to lighten the world with His glory. If you can be right about the day and the prophecy and the state of the dead and hellfire, amen. Be as right as you can, but be right in the character of Jesus. Let people see Jesus in you. It's not too tall an order. It's what the gospel does. The gospel contemplates our complete recovery from the power of Satan. This is what God does, and He will do it gladly in you. we got a message to take to the world. Imagine that message going forth as light. Let me put it to you this way. If you want to send a text message from here to, say, China, you type it into your device, and you'd press that little button. And the message would go to the nearest cell tower where it is received. That electromagnetic wave is converted to light. 
goes to the nearest central office where it's combined with millions and millions of other text messages, and off they go. Some of them will get off along the way. Some message is going to stop at Denver. Some will stop in Las Vegas. Some messages will get off in Los Angeles, California. But then they'll go into a fiber, a little strand of glass about the width of a human hair. It'll go across the ocean. That signal will reach China. Your message is identified. And then the reverse process happens until it is dropped into your friend's device. It all took about one twentieth of a second. That's how long it takes light to travel 6,000 miles. That's just your message being carried across the globe by a fiber optic cable that nobody can see. Alexander Graham Bell once said, I heard, I have heard articulate speech produced by sunlight. I've heard a ray of the sun laugh and cough and sing. Bell believed that what the telephone accomplished with the aid of a wire, the photophone would accomplish with the aid of a sunbeam, with light. That was the beginning of the idea of using light for communication. He died almost 100 years ago, but his dream has become a reality. Think of that in the context of the church. More than 20 million and growing fast, and we have a message. Imagine how effective and how potent and how concentrated that message will be when it goes forth as light. God saw it in Revelation 18 and verse 1. The earth lightened, illuminated with His glory. The message being transmitted more effectively than ever before because it goes out not just as sound, not just as noise, but as light. Not white noise, not chatter. Light. Power. That's where God sees us. Being used by Him to communicate His message, His three angels' message, more effectively than ever before, because we've said, all right, the old me's got to die. He's not bragging. He's not saying, I am spiritually superior in some way. He's saying, Lord, I am weak, but I know that your strength is made perfect in weakness. God, do your thing. You want me to shine as light? Then come on in and shine out as light. Imagine, friend, God's people before long are going to grab this thing, clothed in the righteousness of Christ as vessels for God to use for His glory. There'll be a message that goes forth from God's people to the world. It will be irresistible. It will be powerful. It will be strong. It will speak of the character of God. It will be glorious. God's people by grace will be the light of the world. What do you say tonight? Come on, we ought to pray about this. Our Father in heaven, we thank you tonight that as weak, as faulty as we are, we pray tonight that you would use us, grow us. You know, Lord, some of us, we can't see beyond ourselves because we say, with a degree of accuracy, we are faulty, we are sinful. Yes. And then we remember that David was a murderer and an adulterer. Moses was a murderer. Manasseh did things we don't want to even recount. And so evidently you can use the sinful ones. And we remember that the sons of thunder went on to become great workers as, as, as your character was seen in their lives and their message was powerful, irresistible because it went out as light. There your messengers were clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness. And there was 
There was Saul persecuting the church, and then there was Paul writing much of the New Testament, speaking of the wonders of the grace of God and salvation by grace through faith. Thank you, Lord, that you can do in us what we could never do in ourselves. Thank you for the righteousness of Christ which you give to us. Thank you for growth. Give us grace to forget which is behind, but to press on. And thank you that one day soon, the eastern sky is going to split wide open, and Jesus is going to come riding down the great corridors of space. We are going up, and we are going home. We pray with John, who wrote Revelation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Make us yours. Transform us. Use us to be lights in a darkened world, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Please say with me tonight, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org